presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is our second study uh, in our study of the Paul's letter to the Galatians that I've entitled A Call to Freedom. Uh, and in this study, he begins his defense of his apostolic authority. Remember from our first session that this was written around A.D. 49. It's basically a circular letter which was written to the churches that he and Barnabas had planted in southern Galatia, which today is known as south-central Turkey. Uh, there's basically a two-fold purpose to the letter. First of all, to defend the gospel of grace in Christ. Um, and secondly, to defend his own apostolic authority because um, there was a group of people who were attacking both of those things. Um, the gospel, the substance of the gospel uh, was being attacked. That is, the free grace of God. There was something that... Uh, his attackers said needed to be added to that. And then the source of his preaching, uh, they said, well, you weren't one of the original guys, so we're not really sure we can trust you all that much. But what had happened was the Galatians, some of them at least, were beginning to uh, receive this false teaching and had begun to defect from the truth, which is what precipitated this letter. Uh, remember this when we talk about the grace of God and the gospel of grace in Christ alone. That we the only thing that you and I contribute to our salvation at all is simply our sin, uh, and that's the reason that we need grace in the first place. I want us to read the uh, a few verses that we talked about in our last session from Galatians chapter one, beginning at verse six, where Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him. That is, they were transferring their allegiance. You're deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you or are agitating you and want to distort or change the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, writes this, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And that word accursed means condemned forever, for all of eternity. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul is uh, just comes out with uh, both guns blazing as he begins this because uh, there were a group of people uh, that we know now that are called the Judaizers who were they were Jews who prof who said that they uh, professed faith in Christ but uh, their lives didn't seem to uh, uh, to exhibit that. 
And what they were doing was distorting the truth of the gospel. And as a result of that, the Galatians, some of them at least, had deserted the gospel. And so Paul starts off this way, again, with both guns blazing, simply because uh, the truth of the gospel and the souls of, of people are at stake. And so he, he doesn't mess around at all. And we talked about that at great length in our, in our last study. In, in the process of distorting the gospel, one of the things that the uh, that the Judaizers were doing were they were uh, saying that uh, Paul was not a true apostle, and so he begins to defend his apostolic calling at this point. And he says in verse ten, he says, "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God?" Remember what Jesus said. He said, "You cannot serve two masters. You'll either." Uh, cling to the one and uh, desert the other, or you love the one and hate the other. You can't serve two. He said, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I'm sure one of the reasons he says that is because of the things that he has just said. He says, hey, you're you're deserting the Lord. Uh, you've got these people who are uh, distorting the gospel. Does that sound like I'm a man pleaser if I if I uh, talk to you that way? But in uh, and then he says this in verse eleven. He said, "For I would have you know, brothers." that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice essentially what he's saying here is that uh, he's talking about the source of his calling and the source of the gospel message that he has. He says it, it was not, uh, not motivated by seeking human approval. It was not invented by uh, some human being. It was not received traditionally. Nobody taught him. It was not privately taught to him by other people. And it is in fact for Paul a divine revelation. And the word revelation means an unveiling. Now the question arises, when, when, was, it un, uh, when was it unveiled? Well, if you think about it, I mean, who would make up the true gospel? Uh, a gospel that says, you know, uh, that there's not anything you have to do to be saved except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, who would come up with that? All other religions in the world uh, all say that you have to earn it in some way. There's something that you have to do to uh, ingratiate yourself with God. So nobody would would make up uh, that kind of gospel where it's uh, simply a gospel of grace and all the work has been done by God Himself and the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus. It's not a product of man's mind uh, because it doesn't seem logical to us. In fact, it's 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 contrary to our natural inclination. It was it was not an oral tradition um, where one thing is handed down from another. Some of you probably played the parlor game gossip. Um, where somebody uh, got a big circle of people, and one person uh, tells the, next, the person next to them something, and then they pass it on to the next one and to the next one. And by the time it makes its way all around the circle, uh, it has turned into something uh, somewhat different from where it originated. So it's 
not the gospel didn't come from any sort of oral tradition. Uh, Paul wasn't uh, instructed by any of the other apostles or or any human being as far as that goes. And and he's going to make a, a a big. We're going to we're going to see how he makes a, a a big issue of that. But as to when did he receive this revelation? Did did he receive it on the Damascus Road when the Lord saved him? Did he receive it at the house of Judas there in Damascus where he was taken and he stayed there for three days while he was blind? Um, Did he receive it during the three years he was in Arabia that he talks about? Uh, Did he receive it during the 11 years he was back in Tarsus before uh, his ministry um, in Antioch actually began? The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, And I suspect that the the answer probably to the question is when did he receive this revelation is that it probably began on the road to Damascus and then during all the years that followed, um, and particularly I'm sure that time in the desert, uh, the Lord just opened the Scriptures up to him. Uh, certainly Paul would, uh, well he was called Saul of Tarsus at the time, Saul certainly would have been very familiar with the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, because he was a Pharisee. And apparently during all of this time, uh, the Lord just showed uh, Saul of Tarsus uh, how all of these uh prophetic scriptures that spoke of the Messiah actually pointed to none other than Jesus of Nazareth, that he was indeed the Messiah. And that's the gospel that that Paul um, subsequently preached. So he says, uh, I wasn't taught it. Uh, there in verse 11, uh, verse 12, but he says, I wasn't taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to talk about uh, his his own uh, history. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church God violently and tried to destroy it. Um, no, he he says I was a fanatic. I, I considered I considered what the apostles and the disciples believed as heresy, and in fact, that's what the Romans thought of it as well. They thought it was just a, 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 some sort of aberrant form of Judaism. Um, and that's the reason um, Saul of Tarsus was going around trying to stamp it out because it looked like it was a Judaism that had been uh, uh, violated in some way. It was uh, it was heretical. Uh, it it put down the traditions of Judaism. He says, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now notice here, Paul is talking about the fact that he was persecuting the church. Incidentally, in those early days, the Christianity was not known as Christianity. It was called the way. 
uh, believers did not come to have the name Christian until a number of years later, uh, and that originated at Antioch, as we shall <clears throat> in church in Antioch, Syria, as we shall see. But he's talking about. Uh, uh, how he had been persecuting the church and then what happened to him. Um, and, and in fact, this might be a good time just to, just to talk briefly. I think most of us are, are familiar with the, uh, uh, with the Damascus Road experience. But uh, if you look in the left-hand column of your notes uh, uh, under Roman numeral 2, part B, uh, he talks about his pre-conversion life um, from Philippians chapter 4. And notice what he says here. This, this adds a little bit to uh, the things that he's told us already about himself, about his advancing in Judaism and the, the zeal that he had for stamping out what he considered a heresy. Uh, in Philippians 4, beginning in the latter part of verse 3, it says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. They didn't say he was sinless, but he said he, had, he was going about seeking to establish his own righteousness. Now later on he's going to talk about what a futile thing that was. But notice what else he says from Acts chapter 22 there in your notes beginning at verse 3. Incidentally, if you really want to understand the experience that Paul had, his conversion and the things that happened to him, uh, he gives his testimony in about four different places in the book of Acts and, uh, and, some, of, and some of the letters like uh, we were just reading there in Philippians chapter 4. But if you put all of those together, you, you really get a, a fuller experience of what, uh, what Paul himself had experienced. Notice in, um, in, verse, in Acts chapter 22, he is making a speech to a mob in Jerusalem, and he says this to them. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia but brought up in this city, that is in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, which was the epitome of the kind of teaching that you could get, um, rabbinical teaching that you could get in that day. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way. Notice, uh, here, here's, a, here's a reference to the way. Uh, he's talking about what we call Christianity. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And of course that's what he was doing when he had the encounter with Christ. And in that encounter, notice what he said back in Galatians uh, chapter 1 verse 15 again. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, notice that this was all in God's plan just as... Uh, 
uh, when uh, Rebecca, <clears throat> the uh, uh, wife of Isaac, was pregnant, and she had she had twins, and uh, Jacob and, and Esau. And remember, Esau was the one born first. He was the elder. But God had said while the children were in the womb, He said the older will serve the younger. And, uh, and later on, um, it would be written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Uh, just as God set apart Jacob, just as He set apart Jeremiah from the womb, John the baptizer from the womb, uh, Saul, or now Paul, as he writes Galatians 1, uh, says that's exactly what God had done in his life. And he goes on to say, and who called me by his grace. There are two types of calling in the, uh, in the New Testament. There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a general call of the gospel, and that's what you and I do. We go out and we're to uh, preach the gospel, confront people with the gospel, and we can honestly say to anybody that we meet anywhere, we can say, if you will trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, He will save you and you can have eternal life. We can say that and it's, it's a true thing to say. The problem with the general call though is that people are dead in trespasses and sins. Now how much response do you get from a dead person at the mortuary? You don't get any. And it's the same way with people who are spiritually dead. You, you're just not going to get a response from them because they can't hear, they can't see, they can't understand. They're hostile toward God. They, they're enemies toward God. Now they may be playing a game, but all of that amounts to nothing. And so that's the reason it takes the second kind of call. And that's what uh, Paul is talking about here who called me by His grace. That's called the effectual call. That's when the Spirit of God uh, creates, the, the, the regenerates us, I guess is the way to express it. He regenerates us. He brings us to life. And that's, that's the uh, effectual call. He is affecting something in our lives. He, God doesn't uh, change our will. What He does is He makes us willing to come. Uh, and uh, our will does change, but it changes because we become a new person. He says, uh, He called me by His grace. He was pleased to reveal His Son to me. You cannot know God as God truly is except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot... <clears throat> You cannot uh, understand who the Son is unless He reveals Himself to you. I was, I was uh, yesterday. I was uh, reading in John chapter nine about the man born blind. I thought, and it just it stood out to me again. Remember that Jesus, uh, His disciples asked Jesus, "Is this guy that been born blind?" They said, "You know, did he sin or did his mom and dad?" Said, well, it wasn't any of those things. Jesus said it was. It was so that the uh, glory of God could be revealed. And Jesus uh, spit on the ground and made a little mud and put on the guy's eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And then uh, he would see, and then you know, go report to the um, to the priests. And uh, uh, the guy did that, and the word got out that this guy who who 
with congenital blindness could now see. Well, that's quite a miracle. And so, but the purpose of John chapter 9 is not so much to highlight the miracle. It, it's a sign, but what is, what is the purpose of a sign? A sign is to point us to something else, to point, point, point us in the right way. And so the whole purpose of this was not so much to emphasize the sign, the, the healing of the blind man, as it was to, um, to say, who, what does this say about the person who did this? And so they asked, the, they asked the, the formerly blind man, they said, uh, uh, well, well, who did this? And he said, well, you know, it was just some man named Jesus. Well, Jesus was a real common name in that day. And so later on, as you continue to read through John chapter 9, he said, well, they, they, the scribes and the Pharisees and the, all the religious leaders questioned him again. Well, well, what do you say about him? He said, well, I think the guy must be a prophet. And they began to denigrate the things that he was saying. And to make a long story short, before it was all over, they excommunicated him from the synagogue. And, uh, and at that point, Jesus seeks him out. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, I, I don't know who he is to believe in. And Jesus says, I am he. And the man says, I believe. And he worshipped at that point. Now, now the point I'm making is that Jesus had revealed himself to uh, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and Paul is talking about that here where he says he was pleased to reveal his son to me. Old Saul knew all of the verses about the Messiah but he didn't know who the Messiah was. Just like the guy who had been born blind. You know, he well, he's some guy named Jesus. I guess he must be a prophet. He, he's, a, he's a man uh, apparently sent from God. But what does all of that mean? It didn't really mean anything. He wasn't real sure about it until Jesus sought him out and revealed himself to the man. And the result was he believed and the proof that he believed was that he worshipped Jesus on the spot. And he says he was revealed uh, back to Galatians one. You didn't think we'd go back, did you? He says was uh, he was pleased to reveal his son to me, and here's the purpose: in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says I didn't immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He's talking about the original ones, but I went away into Arabia and returned again. To Damascus. So notice he's, he's defending his apostleship. He's saying the gospel that I preached was not shaped by some other person. I, revealed, I, I received it by revelation from the Lord. And then uh, uh, I went away into Arabia. I didn't, I didn't go to the home office there in Jerusalem to get the okay from them and get the right story from them. But I went away into Arabia and then I wound up going back to Damascus. And then he says in verse 18, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. Now this is the first of two visits that he's going to talk about. After three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Remember Cephas is the Aramaic name for Simon Peter. 
He didn't say I went up there to be instructed. I didn't go up there to find out what I was supposed to preach. I didn't go up there to be instructed in any way. I went up there to visit. And I remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. That's his half-brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Now that, that tells us something else about what the Judaizers were saying about, uh, about the Apostle Paul to the Galatians. And that is, well, you know how Paul is. He's preaching you this uh, easy breezy salvation stuff. And uh, he's just a liar. You can't believe all that. You've, you've got to... Yeah, you, you, Jesus is a, is a good place to start. But remember, Jesus was a Jew. And if you're going to be a if you're going to be a Christian, uh, you've you've got to and you're going to come to Jesus. You got to come to Jesus via Moses. That's what you've got to do. See, that's what they were saying. They were saying Paul's lying to him. He says, "I'm not lying." Now, notice in your notes, I put a couple of little asterisks there, and they point down to uh, another. Uh, uh, portion of scripture in the in the left hand column of your notes from Acts chapter 9 this uh, this is right after Paul's uh, uh, or Saul's uh, meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus when Jesus sought him out and, and saved him and in Acts chapter 9 verse 26 and following it says and when he that is Saul had come to Jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples now he's talking about this during this, this first visit after after three years he, Paul was uh, uh, Saul was saved at Damascus he went to Judah's house where he stayed for three days we know and and, uh, and then he went for all, all for three years to Arabia, and then he went back to Damascus, and then after three years he went to Jerusalem. So now he's describing, this is being described to us by Luke out of Acts chapter 9. And when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they didn't believe he was a disciple. So they think, well, he's he, you know, doing some sort of undercover kind of stuff here, trying to find out who the who the true believers are, so that he can persecute them and haul them off to jail. He says, but Barnabas. Now, remember, Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He was uh, he was uh, one of the first deacons. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. Now again, he's talking about this time, this fifteen days that he spent when he went. Uh, to see to visit Cephas, and he not only saw Cephas, but he saw uh, uh, the Lord's half brother James. He says, "So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Now, wait a minute, who are the Hellenists? Well, remember there were um, they were Jews, but they were Jews who uh, who had um, really absorbed a lot of Greek culture. So they were they were a bit freer in some things than your Hebrew of the Hebrews would have been." Um, 
We'll talk more about them later. It says, But they, the Hellenists, were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, which is a seaport city, and they sent him off to Tarsus. And, of course, he remained in Tarsus for about uh, 11 years until the time that the uh, that his ministry really, uh, as far as we know, really took off uh, there in Antioch. Now, Go back to Galatians chapter 1 for a minute. We'll pick it up at verse 21. He says, and notice the last thing Luke said, he says he sent him off to, uh, they they took him down to Caesarea because his life had been threatened. They sent him off to Tarsus. And then uh, Paul says about himself in verse 21 of Galatians uh, 1, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Well, Tarsus is the, is the capital of Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, were, uh, the only, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me so he is uh and then and then look at verse uh i tell you what look at uh that next passage chapter 11 it says uh acts 11 beginning at verse 19 it says now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over stephen now again that's remember uh saul was the one who held the coats while stephen was stoned to death first church martyr Uh, those uh, who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch now this Antioch Syria preaching the Lord Jesus and a great number who believed turned to the Lord so you've got this church that's uh, developed here at Antioch Syria now Cilicia uh, the province of Cilicia uh, where Paul lived in Tarsus was to the uh, to the west, just to the west of uh, of, uh, of Syria and Antioch, and so it says the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So okay, well let's send Barnabas up there because this is predominantly a, a Gentile work that's getting started in Antioch. Let's be sure they're on the right track. Verse 25 says, So Barnabas, went, and incidentally, Barnabas went up there and he was, he was just amazed at what the Lord was doing among those Gentiles. And there was obviously a lot of work to be done. So in verse 25 of Acts 11, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this is where Paul's ministry that we know of really got going in earnest. Now, we know that he'd done some some preaching right after... uh, um, the the Lord revealed Himself to him there uh, on the road to Damascus. Uh, you recall that uh, after he regained his sight, he went out and he preached that Jesus was indeed the Christ. And then we we see him doing the same thing when he went to visit uh, Cephas and uh, uh, Peter in uh, in Jerusalem for those fifteen days. He's still doing some preaching. In fact, his preaching uh, antagonized a bunch of people so that they had to send him back to his home. Uh, 
in Tarsus. And it doesn't tell us what he did in Tarsus, but the assumption is, and that's all it is, is an assumption, is during those 11 years he was in Tarsus, not only was he making tents, but he was also preaching uh, the Lord Jesus. And when this work begins in Antioch in earnest, and the guys at the home office send Barnabas up there to check on it. Uh, you know, they say, Barnabas says, hey, I need some help with this, and I know just the guy who can help because I've heard his testimony, and he is the apostle to the Gentiles. So he goes and he finds Saul and brings him over there. And then for a year, uh, he, Barnabas, and Saul uh, do all of their teaching there in Antioch. And... Uh, so what at this point what we see is that Paul in his letter here has shown that uh, his gospel originated uh, with God, not with any man anywhere. And now what he does beginning in chapter 2 of Galatians, he's still defending his apostleship. But what he is saying is that the gospel that he's been preaching is really the same gospel that all the other apostles have been preaching. And uh, he, uh, he says, look, I only made one short visit uh, to visit Cephas. I didn't go up there to be instructed by him. And now he's going to talk about uh, uh, his the second visit. And it's an important visit because on this visit he was actually endorsed by the Jerusalem apostles. And he's going to make that uh, that point. Uh, so let's uh, let's read Galatians chapter two. Then it says, "Then after fourteen years, all right. So now this is fourteen years from the time that the Lord had saved him. So he's been he's been working in uh, at Tarsus uh, and uh, for about." Um, uh, a year along with Barnabas encouraging the people preaching to the Gentiles remember these Gentiles wouldn't know anything about what the scriptures taught because that they just they didn't know anything about the Old Testament and so they I mean they had to start at square Barnabas and Saul had to start at square one in their teaching so now he says okay 14 years after the Lord saved me I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me now who is Titus Titus was a Gentile uh, who came uh, to faith in Christ and uh, ultimately, he became also a pastor. Uh, one of the letters that Paul wrote was one of the pastoral letters was to Titus, a, a young pastor. He says, uh, after 14 years, I went up again. So this is the second visit to Jerusalem since he's been saved. Uh, with Barnabas, uh, so they, they left Antioch to go there. And we'll see why they did this in just a minute. And this time they took Titus along with them. I went up because of a revelation. Now, what is the revelation? Well, the, he doesn't tell us here. But it possibly had to do... Uh, with the well, it could have been well. Let me say it this way: it could have been a couple of things. It could have been I went up revelation. Maybe, maybe it was that the Lord told him to go up. That that could be a revelation. Secondly, he could have meant well. I'm going to go up there and uh, and and 
talk about what I've been preaching. That may have been the revelation. I think the odds are, the odds on bet though, would be that it was it was something else and it had to do with a famine. And the reason I say that is if you look in the left hand column, again, column of your notes, the passage from uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, uh, Paul uh, writes, uh, I'm sorry, Luke writes about this in Acts 11. He says, So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now remember, there's persecution against the church, so there are all kind of immigrants who were coming in at the time. And then also, Luke tells us, then the very next verses of Acts chapter 11, he says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. All right, so Paul and Barnabas are there teaching at Antioch. And some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, where they were, you know, helping the Gentiles. And it says, One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Now, Claudius reigned from AD 41 to 54, so this that gives you a good time frame there. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. So you've got the church at Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile church, which is being taught by Barnabas and Saul, who hears from these prophets who have come from Jerusalem that a famine is coming. They speak under the inspiration of God, say this famine's coming, and they say, we need to do something for our Jewish brothers in the faith down in Jerusalem. That is, those Jews who have believed in Christ because they're going to be adversely affected by this famine. And it says, this they did, sending their gift to the elders. And who took it? Barnabas and Saul. So when we read in Galatians chapter 2 that after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem, he's talking about this time when they take the monies that they've collected from the people there at the church at Antioch to take it to Jerusalem to help out the church there in Jerusalem. And along with that, they're taking, uh, uh, they've taken Titus along with them, the Gentile believer. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. He's talking about to to ensure that uh, that his ministry was not going to be endangered by these Judaizers who actually had come from Jerusalem and said that they had been sent by the folks at the home office. We discover later that was not the case. They were the ones who were lying. And then notice, notice what he says after that. Verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. We got down to the home office at Jerusalem, Barnabas and Titus and I. We took the we took the money that had been collected from the, the Gentile believers in Antioch. We took it down to Jerusalem. And when we got there and we met with the uh, guys at the home office, they didn't insist that Titus be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers, now these are the Judaizers, false brothers, not true brothers, 
false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Slavery under the law where you've got to keep all these rules and regulations, where you've got to keep all these traditions and special days. That's what he's talking about. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, again, notice the, the the argument that he's making. He's saying, "Hey, when when we when we made that when I made that second visit to Jerusalem, I took an uncircumcised believer down there with me." Now, the the guys at the home office in Jerusalem, that is the original apostles who were there. Of course, Judas Iscariot was long gone. But the others who were there, they didn't insist that Titus be circumcised. You don't have what I'm telling you, guys in Galatia, is that all you got to do is trust in Christ. You don't you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep all these special days. You don't have to keep a special diet. See, that's the argument that he's making. That's that's the thing that the Judaizers were trying to draw him into. Now, in verse six. He says, and from those who seemed... Now, now he's going to use this word seem three times. Uh, and uh, because, and I think the reason he said he, he says those who seem to be influential, I think he's, he's saying in the eyes of the Judaizers, these guys down at, uh, at Jerusalem were, were the real big dogs, especially Peter, James, and John. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Notice, again, he's asserting his independence. He's saying, look, I didn't go down there for their approval. We went down there to, to help out the church, and I met with those guys, and in meeting, in meeting with them, I didn't ask them for their approval. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and then parenthetically he says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, that is to the, primarily to the Jews, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, and... When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. He says, hey, they recognized that the gospel that I was preaching was the same gospel that they were preaching. The only difference at all was we were op- our ministries were operating in different spheres. They were operating primarily to a, uh, a to Jewish people, and I was p- primarily operating with a, with a group of Gentile people. And then in verse ten, he says, "Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager." To do so, <clears throat> Paul has made this second visit 
Uh, his companions were was a Jew named Barnabas and a Gentile named Titus who had been apparently a product of the mission that was in dispute by the, uh, by the Judaizers there in Antioch. And he laid out his message to the Jerusalem apostles not so that they would approve, not for their approval, but just to ensure that his ministry was not going to be endangered anyway or made fruitless by these Judaizers who, by the way, had come from Jerusalem. Uh, the result was that his, his companion Titus was not compelled to be circumcised and his gospel was endorsed by the Jerusalem apostles and it was endorsed without modification whatsoever. So you see how he's, he's making the argument for his apostleship. Now, let's... Uh, so, so they... they <clears throat> yeah, so that... They have accepted Paul. They recognize Paul as an equal. They recognize his calling. They recognized his commission. They were not granting him some sort of authority, and Paul makes a big issue of that. But they were acknowledging his ministry to the Gentiles, and they simply made a request that he would continue to look after the poor, and Paul had a real heart for that as well. So, uh, let, me, uh, let me just... I want us to be sure we've got this entire picture, so let me just try to summarize it one more time, if I may do so. The main target of Paul's first missionary tour, which took place around A.D. 47-49, was the southern half of the Roman province called Galatia. It's located in what's today called south-central Turkey. And during this evangelistic mission with Barnabas, they preached the gospel and planted churches in four cities. And so this epistle to the Galatians is Paul's letter that was written around A.D. 49 after he had completed the mission and returned to Antioch. This letter was to be circulated among the four newly established churches. Now the occasion for the letter was the influence that was being exerted on the churches by false teachers who were known as Judaizers. They were Jewish men who taught that faith in Christ alone was insufficient for salvation. They insisted that a person would have to keep Jewish traditions as well. In other words, the, the Judaizers taught that the way to Jesus was through Moses and the law. And in addition to attacking the truth of the gospel of grace, they also questioned and attacked Paul's apostolic credentials. What, what better way to distort the message of the gospel than to disparage the messenger who brought the gospel? And so while Paul does not specifically list the charges that the Judaizers made against him in questioning the genuineness of his apostleship, the the reader of this letter can infer what those charges were based on the rebuttal that he makes. And those charges certainly would have included the fact that, well, Paul was not one of the original twelve who walked with Jesus. Uh, Paul was uh, pr- Paul's preaching and work were was never authorized. They were never authorized by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. And Paul's visits to Jerusalem after his conversion were to to uh, to be authorized and to ingratiate himself with what uh, they the Judaizers would call the real apostles. 
Well, as to the first charge, Paul would have agreed with them that he was not one of the original twelve. But he makes a compelling argument from, for having received from the Lord his calling and his commission by testifying to the miraculous change in his life after his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He seeked, he, he, I'm sorry, he, he ceased from being a persecutor of the church to being a preacher of the gospel. The gospel that was received by revelation from the Lord Himself. Well, Paul also would have agreed that his preaching and work were not authorized by the home office in Jerusalem. On the contrary, he would say, I never even sought their approval. After all, his revelation was from the Lord, and it was to the Lord that he was accountable. He does mention two visits to Jerusalem made 14 years uh, following his conversion, but neither visit was to be uh, neither the, the purpose of neither of those visits was to be taught by the apostles or to seek their approval. In fact, during this second visit, Paul took Titus with him, an uncircumcised Gentile believer, to drive the point home to everybody that salvation was and is today by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the apostles in Jerusalem welcomed Titus. And certainly much, I'm sure, to the chagrin of the Judaizers, did not insist that Titus be circumcised. And in fact, they gave to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, acknowledging his commission and endorsing the truth that he was preaching. While they would continue to work in different spheres of ministry, the gospel that they preached was the same. Now, in our next session, Paul is going to conclude his defense of the gospel, and he is going to begin his. De- I'm sorry, he is going to conclude his defense of his apostleship, and he is going to begin his defense of the gospel. Uh, and so, and one of the ways he will do that is uh, in uh, in concluding the. Uh, charge that he was trying to ingratiate himself with the Jerusalem apostles. He's going to talk about an incident that occurred at Antioch when Simon Peter was up there when he, Paul, publicly rebuked Simon Peter for his hypocrisy, a hypocritical act that resulted in a bunch of other people uh, falling into hypocrisy as well. It was a real stumbling block. And in sharing that, it was not to bring embarrassment to Simon Peter. It was to show the Galatians that Paul was indeed not a man-pleaser, even if the man in question was one of the original apostles of Christ. And then as he begins to recount that event that involves Simon Peter that we'll talk about next time, he introduces his defense of the gospel. And... uh, And it serves as a transitional passage to his defense of the gospel as we will look at that next time. Now in the bit of time that we have left, let's just think about what sort of application do we draw from all of this. So I'll refer you to your notes again. First of all, education is no substitute for divine revelation. That is not a denigration of education. Get all you can. That's great. But remember, it, uh, Saul of Tarsus was one of the most educated men on the face of the earth at the time, but it was not until Jesus revealed himself to him that it all made sense. 
uh, he was spiritually blind. It was not until Christ Jesus revealed himself to Saul that his life changed. And a changed life is always the result of a genuine encounter with the grace of God in Christ. It's, it's possible to know a lot about the Bible and yet not know the God of the Bible. That's the reason Paul repeatedly in his letters uh, cautions believers and those who profess to believe to examine yourself, test yourself, see if you genuinely are in the faith. Sometimes a second thought is that preparation for ministry often requires times of solitude and anonymity. Uh, apparently, Saul of Tarsus was content to minister in virtual anonymity, in obedience to Christ. Are, are we willing to wait upon God? You say, "Well, hey, here's a guy who's got all this education. He knows all this stuff. He's done a little bit of preaching. Why in the world would you send him up?" back up to Tarsus where he spends 11 years up there and we don't even know anything about what he was doing when there was, when there was so much work that he could have been doing somewhere else. Well, God has a plan for us and He has a place for us and He has a time for us. And it's, um, it's incumbent upon us to learn to wait upon God and be content with His timetable. Never forget Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was promised an offspring when he was 75 years old. When he was 85 years old, God still hadn't given him any offspring, so he and Sarah decided they would help God out. And the result of that was Ishmael. It's important to wait on God. Thirdly, the truth of the gospel of grace is unchanging. There's one gospel, there's one apostolic faith, there is one Christianity. There are peripheral issues. Which way should you be baptized? Should you be immersed? Should you be sprinkled? Should you be poured on? There are a lot of different ways. And we all have our ideas about what the Bible teaches about that. And of course, I think my idea is right. Uh, if I didn't, I wouldn't teach it the way that I do. Uh, eschatology, that is the, the, the uh, doctrines of last things, when Christ is going to return, uh, is, uh, is, there, is a rapture going to be a before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is there even a literal millennium? Or is that symbolic we can we can the peripheral issues we can discuss we can fuss with each no not fuss but we can discuss with each other all of these things and we can be entertained as we share our ideas and it's okay to have different ideas about peripheral issues but when it comes to the central core issues that is the person and the work of Christ those things are immutable they never ever change Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth is more than a gifted teacher and a miracle worker. He is God in human flesh. He is fully human and fully God. At the right hand of the Father today is the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's why He is the perfect high priest. He represents God the Father to us, and in His humanity, He represents us to 
to the Father. And then there is the work of Jesus Christ. That's that's the other thing that is immutable. It never changes. Jesus said before He died, it is finished. His work was completely complete. And to seek to add to His work things that sound like they would be great things to do, even those things, renders Christ's sacrifice essentially a useless tragedy because we're saying you didn't do enough I've got to add to it the truth of the gospel of grace has to be maintained we need to resist uh, those who would uh, question it we need to confront those who would change the gospel of Christ but remember this while, while the central message is unchanging we can have many, we can have different ministry styles we can have different spheres of ministry the lord calls us to different uh different areas of ministry and then finally open identification with christ will bring opposition from some people particularly religious people you know jesus warned that believers wouldn't receive any better treatment than he did and remember his harshest treatment was from the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, they're the ones who turned him over. And, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they're the ones who turned him over to the Romans uh, for them to crucify him. And the only reason they didn't crucify him was because they didn't have the authority to do so. And yet Paul regarded his suffering for Christ as a real source of joy. Do we? You know, grace always produces a changed life. Now, the life that we have now after coming to know Christ is not completely new, but it is genuinely new. It will not be completely new until the time of the resurrection when we receive a body that matches up with this new uh, spirit, this new nature within us, this nature that really loves God with all of our hearts. Until that time, There's going to be a battle with the flesh. And Paul's going to talk about that in this letter. Let's pray. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. Write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.